welcome to this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith. And I'm Josh Joseph. And it's it's been a little while. Uh, our, our last podcast was in December with, with Tanner Webb, um, but we're back and we'll probably do a podcast here in a little while and talk about everything that's been happening in the in the time we've been gone. We'll catch up. A lot has been happening. <laughs> um, but uh, But today we are here with Jack Daniels, who is a video game designer and actually an owner of a local business here in Huntington, Lasso Games. Hello, Jack. Howdy. Glad to be with you all today. Thank you. So on here, we like to always try to get everyone to tell their trajectory into the um, into IT, whatever facet they may be. So if you could, could you maybe start by telling us, like, when it comes to technology, what was the first thing that grabs you as a kid, or what was your entrance into the into the technology world? Well, um, working with computers, I mean, I got my first computer in 1999, I think, maybe 98, and I, I grew up in a in a farm town in uh, Oklahoma. Actually, I lived on a cattle ranch, uh, was raised out there, and uh, getting access to the internet um, via 56K modem in 1999 was something that uh, not a lot of people actually in my you know school and and my age level not all of those folks were doing that stuff back then and and, and it was kind of a it was, a it was a unique privilege but you know we had to uh a lot of opportunities once i started you know kind of spending some time on the internet and seeing that there was a bigger world out there other than you know my little farm town that i lived in it kind of made me realize you know what could be possible with technology and uh, not just communication but different you know applications different type of programming stuff that we could do and uh, just just basically tinkering with the computer that i had on my in my farm town uh, is how it all started so so in your house was it um you know, was there a gaming console first or was there a home computer what what really struck your interest there um i as far as i can remember my earliest memories of life uh, i can remember playing the Legend of Zelda one on an NES. My my dad uh, was a, was big into arcade games in the seventies, and you know he, he and his buddies would go and just pump quarters into the Pac Man machine and all, all kinds of. They played all kinds of like really obscure uh, uh, arcade titles that a lot of people have never heard of before now. And uh, he just told me stories about you know going with his college buddies and down to the arcade and just like wearing it out, you know and. And so he he actually got me into it. Uh, they bought me a Nintendo. Uh, I I guess when I was two or three. I mean, I, you know, old enough to be able to hold the controller and move stuff around. So that kind of was got what well, got me into video games. And then once the once I got the computer, it was kind of like a, a perfect marriage of the two. Were you able to do anything with the computer in in high school? That type of thing. Did they have a, a system like that going? Because I know for me, I graduated high school in '98. When I took keyboarding, it was straight up typewriters mm. still in like 96, 97 in Wayne County. And then um, we were lucky to have 486s at the time in 98. Yeah. So, you know, it varies depending on school system, but were you able to do anything with that in your school system? Uh, no. Uh, we My school was very rural. Uh, we had a we did have a keyboarding class, and it was on computers, um, which was – and it was cutting edge at the time. We had received a grant – from uh, the University of Oklahoma or something like that, just one of the state boards. I, I can't remember now, but uh, to build a, a computer lab, and it was one of the things that was kind of kind of crazy. But I, I was on the tail end of my high school career at the time when that came out. So, keyboarding class, uh, you know, was 
I wasn't really interested in it because I had a computer at home and I could already type okay. But uh, that was really the full extent of it. We did a little bit of yearbook work. I, I can remember experimenting with an early version of Photoshop. I think it was like Photoshop 6 or something uh, at the time. I had access to that somewhere. And, right. Um, that's kind of opened up the whole graphic design element of it. So, yeah. And I, you know, I was in band in high school, so that was a, a big thing for me. As to, I was always fascinated in how music was made in games, and I liked music. So, by the time I got out of high school, and I went to college here at Marshall uh, uh, here in Huntington to be a music teacher. By that point, you know, digital music was something I hadn't really had any, uh, I guess you could call it professional exposure to, but it was something that I had always kind of tinkered with. So. That was uh, one of the things that got me into game development from that, was just being able to make digital music and learning about the ways that music was made on the systems that I grew up playing, you know, like the Nintendo Entertainment System, the types of chips that they use and stuff like that. So. Did you get you? Did you get you a keyboard and get you your your MIDI card and yeah, and yeah, I've got a, a small MIDI keyboard that stays on my desk and. Uh, uh, I do a lot of composition that way, um, but most mostly uh, when I do chiptune composition, um, which you know chiptune is you know what they use the two A O three chip in the NES. Um, I just use a piece of software called Famitracker and mostly just manually place everything with the mouse. Um, mostly just because it's not it's not in a in like a piano roll format. It's not like a staff music or anything like that for music guys. It, it, it's it's just an up and down thing with letters and, and, and hex numbers and stuff like that. So it, it kind of doesn't really lend itself to being able to play something on the piano and it translate to music on the, you know, you kind of have to manually place everything. So, so to backtrack for just a second. So then out of high school, even though, even though you had an NES, even though you, you were online, your focus out of high school was not, I'm definitely doing something with computers. No, absolutely not. I had, I had, um, I was on track to be a, a teacher, and when I went to when I came to Marshall, they asked me, you know, do you want to be? I knew I wanted to do something in music. One, it was because it was the only way I could get a scholarship to be able to afford the tuition to come out here from where I came from. Um, but two, I, I I had to do something in music, so I had to be some kind of music major. But the uh, chair of the music department at the time asked me when I came in, you know, do you want to be an education major or do you want to be a performance major? And I remember never having that thought cross my mind. At one point, I was like, I, I, you know. And I realized, you know, I loved band and, and everything in, in high school, and I thought maybe it would be cool to, uh, you know, be a music teacher, and I thought there might be a little bit more security in having a teaching position. So I that's I went to... To, uh, went through the whole program, got my teaching certificate for West Virginia, and I worked as a sub for about six months before I uh, went on to do something else. Yeah, I I, I kind of had a little bit of a, a similar track to that. Um, when I graduated in high school in, in 05, our, uh, our school, there were computers, there were some computer labs, but very limited on what their options were. And I was fully involved with music. Everything mm-hmm. was music. So any of my electives were all music-based stuff. And so any of those, you know, computer classes, then they had you know, keyboarding classes and stuff like that. Those were just to the wayside mm. for me because I was I would already learn that stuff on mm-hmm. my own anyways. And a similar situation was I was wanting to do music, wanted to maybe do music ed. Marshall gave me money to go there mm. on a scholarship. And so that, that's how I ended up at Marshall. Um, 
how did you end up at Marshall from Oklahoma? <laughs> Actually, my <laughs> my wife. I met her on the internet uh, shortly after I got my first computer, and so you know, I'm I, her. <laughs> This is a crazy story in and of itself, but uh, I won't waste any time on it really. But uh, basically, they came out and visited me uh, whenever I was still in high school. And, uh, you know, we met each other then, and I decided that, you know, I wanted to go to college here. So so she was here in West Virginia? She, she's okay. from Huntington. Okay, yeah. so she's from here. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, so, I met her okay. from out there and, and moved out here. And I, was, you know, I was decided I wanted to go to school here. So I was like, yeah, how can I, how can I get across the country? Yeah. And that's impressive. Found that's, the got the music scholarship. So I mean, it's impressive that, they, that she came to see you. I that's, that's uh, I've still, if it were my child, I, I'm thinking like there's no way that I would ever <laughs> do that. But it was kind of cool because they came out. Her, she and her parents both drive 16 hours. They they, they drove out there, uh, and I guess you know to visit me or whatever. And and then, uh, you know, I guess she was going to go anyway or something. So they were like, well we're going to go with you then if you're going to go and then the next time that there was a break from school or something me and my parents drove out here and visited Huntington and we went down and did went to Riverfront and oh, yeah. stayed for a couple of days and went to River Park and did all the little cool local stuff and Huntington stuff yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> did you find that this was basically like Oklahoma except with hills mm, no no not at all oh, <laughs> actually <laughs> Where I'm from, I mean, I grew up on a ranch, so it was like, I my town was a very, very small town. I mean, there's probably like 1,300 people or something in the city, and it's been actually in pretty rapid decline ever since I left, too. Um, it, it was at the time; it had been going downhill for a long time. And there's no, you know, there was a main, there was a, a smelter or something that went through there in the early 1900s or something, so causing, you know, whatever. But the uh, the the crazy thing was that when i came here it was like almost culture shock because this was like the big city to me you know like you should have gone to wayne because, <laughs> because, because trust me i grew up on what was essentially a farm and uh you had to drive 30 minutes in to find the local general mm-hmm. store basically mm-hmm. so if she'd have shown you wayne you'd have felt yeah, at home that's that's right uh yeah and i've i've seen you know i've been out into some more rural areas of west virginia and and they are very similar i mean it's just like you said the terrain is a lot different so uh, we have hills where I'm from in Oklahoma, but uh, people don't live in them. That was one of the craziest things around here is that, like, even downtown, I mean, not downtown, but just in, in Huntington, I mean, there's houses that one house's foundation will be at the roof level of the next house. So <laughs> right. That was kind of crazy to see. So, yeah, Josh, you, you alluded to the fact that your trajectory is very similar to Jack's. I'm kind of curious um for you to revisit and the jack to tell us for the first time when was the switch for both of you all that said i like this music stuff but i'm gonna shift my focus over to it mine was fast um i was by october of my freshman year i knew i wasn't gonna do music ed part of it was departmental type of thing um didn't like where percussion department was at the time at the school there were a lot of a lot of different things going on. That aside, I think I just kind of lost the the interest that I had in it. And I had decided when I went to, to, to college, like my backup plan was going to be computers because I'd always mm-hmm. liked them, tinkered with them, grew up on some games and stuff like that. And um, I did a lot more IT stuff in school, in high school especially, than I realized that I was doing. Um, 
until I came to Marshall. And part of it was, you know, I was driving, I was a commuter. So I was driving from my home, which was about a 45-minute one-way commute. And I was here, you know, if you're, everybody knows if you're a music major, not only do you have your classes, but you have all your practice time that you have to put in. So I was here a lot of those days, eight to eight, taking 18 hours as a freshman student, quick burnout. I was, I was done with it. And I was just, my backup was IT. And so at the time, the community college, Marshall Community College of Mount West now, um, it was as easy as me taking a little yellow slip from one building to another building and transferring over. And so by October, I had told them that I was going to, you know, switch out, knowing I was going to lose my scholarship and, and everything like that. And they were very cool about actually, it. I didn't actually transfer colleges to my final, final semester. Yeah, yeah. So they wouldn't know and pull my scholarship. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I had to. So they, they, they would have known. But, you know, it, it was an easy switch. They were really cool about it. They very they actually helped me you know figure out what i needed to do to transfer over and then i just jumped into those it classes in that spring and never really looked back at all i mean i still because i still kept doing music things i kept teaching percussion i kept playing you know music I mean, you, and, you've done our intro and outro music for yeah this, for this i mean yeah and i just i mean i did that uh WGI stuff two years ago with yeah. that independent group. I mean, so it, it's still that's still a big vein in in my system as far as music goes. That I just I got out quick. Obviously, you were able to. The burnout is real in <laughs> in, uh, in in music students among yeah. music students. I don't know if that's just a, a you know, if, from what I've experienced. And this is all you know anecdotal, but I, I've talked to music students in other universities around the country and stuff. And it, and it's very it's very hard. It is not like. I think a lot of people have a misconception about what it means to be a student of music, but there is a lot of contact time, many many hours of which you get receive no credit. I mean, in terms of you know college credit, hourly credit, or whatever. I mean, I know for Josh and I were in marching band for a while, and this is just a small example of some of the things you have to. But there's ensemble commitments. You have to be, you know, in a three hour rehearsal or two half hour rehearsal. Uh, and if you're a music major, you know, you have to do that for a concert band type of scenario. You have to do it for a marching band type scenario. Sometimes it's a jazz band. And many of those coursework is is a long rehearsal, many days a week, and it may only be worth one credit hour or something like that. Or in some cases, some of them are zero credit hours. And it's just you have to do it as part of the requirement. But it's kind of to align you with the idea of being a performer, what it's like to be you know, having to go on the road, maybe you've got to play backup for somebody. You've, you've got to show up. You have to be at every rehearsal when there's available. Um, so I get it, but at the same time, it's very it's very exhausting because you still have your regular coursework. You still have to practice time outside of all those ensembles. You have to meet up for the ensembles, and it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And I, I know I got exhausted of it, you know, by the time I was a sophomore, but... I had gone so far that, like, I knew that if I was to switch at this point, I would basically be setting myself back another X number of years or whatever. So I just stayed the course. And did you start it. sneaking in some IT courses as electives, or or no, you just waited until after college? No, I didn't have a single IT course at all in college. I had I had two music technology courses that were required as my to my major, and it was basically we went into the uh, audio lab at the Jomi Jazz Center over there, and uh, uh, we we. Put together, we sequenced together some stuff in. Um, we used GarageBand, we used Pro Tools a little bit, just learning this heck basic stuff, you know, making projects, start Venice, you know, trim tool and you know, pan and volume levels and all that stuff. I mean, 
So then, so then, when you graduated and you got out and you had your music teaching degree, for lack of a better term, if it's sorry to oversimplify it, if that's if it was bigger, but like, yeah, you you could teach music at that point. You said you had gotten burnt out in sophomore year, but you're like, well, I'm going to stick with it. So once you're done with the degree, do you? You were subbing, it sounded like you said there mm-hmm. for a while, mm-hmm. but but then were you already starting to lean over? And then I guess you're going to have to be self-taught. Like how how does how do you start to delve deeper into IT? Well, uh, my brother Dewey is a it was a, at the time an IT director or a, a senior IT associate for a, the University of Oklahoma's K twenty. Uh, Center for Community Renewal, and I went out there for one summer and stayed with him, and he got me a part-time job there, uh, working in their IT department. So I had a little bit of exposure to a, I guess a, a production semi-academia state-sponsored sort of uh, environment, like help desk. Uh, yeah, he didn't do like help desk tickets and stuff like that. It was just kind of more like uh, IT support. They were in the middle of a building change and there was a bunch of other, you know, servers that had to be set up. We had to set up client machines and just really, really extremely basic stuff. He was doing more. I mean, he was doing web design and, you know, development for you know, different projects that they had going on. But, but mainly at that point, you're talking about like windows installations, mm, networking, yeah. running the cable right. drops. Right, right, right. Yeah. That was the type of stuff that I was doing with him as my supervisor at the time, which was was a really nice experience of being able to work with my brother and um, the people that were there were super nice. And, but uh, that was kind of uh, my first real, I guess you would say, professional exposure to any type of IT-related field. Before that, I had done, um, you know, just, you know, fixing people's computers and stuff for, you know, whatever they'll pay you, you know. Sure. I mean, that's basically the extent of it. I mean, that, how I got that job was just having a connection that was already in there and then just being able to show them on the job that I was able to do these things, you know. So, and I, I mean, I, honestly, I think that really applies to just about any job is, it, you, you know, obviously the, the connection part of it is important, you know, building relationships with people. And it just worked out that, you know, he was my brother. But, um, I mean, any time that you have an opportunity to, shake the hand of somebody that is in a position that they can give you a job or that they can provide you with, you know, some expertise or something that you may not have. I think that's definitely a good thing to take advantage of. So, But, um, but still at that point, you, you did some wiring, you did some networking. You, I, I still haven't heard any programming come into play or mm, tinkering. At that so. time, you know, I hadn't, I, I still hadn't done any programming at that time. And this was in 2007. So, I mean, I didn't even really start programming in earnest until, 2014 2013 i mean it's not not very long really i mean right i I did i learned by osmosis some a little bit of web development stuff learning uh you know a little bit of php javascript you know html for front end stuff just from being in the same vicinity as dewey at the time and uh, you know would help him you know maybe frame up a page or something like that learn some css for how to style one thing or the other and you know then would tinker on my spare time at like building a little website project for you know whatever my personal page or something like that so so i had done some of that and um after i was a sub for a while in 2010 i uh, got a job at uh, radon medical imaging up in uh, ona they are an x-ray company and i did some it work for them and did a little bit of web development 
helped uh, basically like listing their equipment stuff online and just sales and service x-ray parts and did that for about six years and i mean just you know as you uh kind of exercise everything that you know on the job you know it kind of like start to develop a little bit more but um didn't really start tinkering with games though until i was on my way out of that place um you know i just had started working with game maker and and learning about unity a little bit um just at home uh you know after my kids would go to sleep or whatever and then I'd just stay up and you know make things move around on the screen and so what made you or what drove you to the idea of hey I'm going to try to make a game or try to figure out how to make games was um, there something that triggered that honestly I think that making chiptune music actually kind of hinged into that a little okay. bit because I I I started with I always wondered like okay well you know I know how to make music I mean I can write this I can play this on my trumpet or on the piano I can you know use a MIDI editor you can use Finale and like write out staff yeah, music and yeah. play you know whatever but how did they do how did they make it sound the way that it does on the Nintendo you know so yeah. I started just googling stuff you know what what makes it sound that way and then you know so what was this 2A03 chip uh, well how can I you know how can I make my music sound like that I want to do that because you, you see on YouTube people make like they call it a Eight bit cover or something like yeah, that, yeah, of a, yeah. you know, whatever. But it's you know, it's really chip tune, and uh, so I, you know, found out some pieces of software, a couple of tools that people use to still you know perpetuate that stuff. So I just started like composing chip tune music, and I was like, man, it'd be cool if we had like you know a little thing to go with this or something, like a little guy that walks around and you know and just play, you know, and this. Before so, you know it, you know, you're working on a game project. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, so it just started out as a little bit of a tinkering with yeah, the idea I mean, of, oh, well, I can do this music. I want something to go along with it. Yeah. Just for, I guess okay. kind of a backwards way for no, a lot of no, people. I, I mean, mean but yeah, I had this music and it was like my own. And I was like, wow, you know, nobody's going to buy an album of chiptune music or whatever for like, I mean, I guess they might, but I guess people do that. But I, that, that thought didn't cross right. my mind. It's like, what am I doing all this for? I mean, it's a hobby thing. I'm learning a lot of cool things, but it, how is it usable in any you know capacity or whatever? I mean, it, it's hard to say. The, the whole process is a lot more organic than the way I'm describing it right now, but that's kind of the retrospective uh, breakdown of how I got there, I guess. Well, so. you almost got into that uh, uh, that wormhole or whatever that that trail where you you started at one spot and you're googling you know how this is done. And then you start to figure out how you're making those. And then once you start making those tunes, and you're just like, well, what else can I? And mm-hmm. so it just yeah. starts. Yeah, and it is more organic, and it kind of flows. And you start at one point, and then you, wow. Next thing you know, you've ended up with Game Maker mm-hmm. Studio and Unity and yeah. are trying to make I had, people move. <laughs> I had been working for four or five months, maybe four months or so, on the project that would eventually become Leventera, our first game that we are still working on <laughs> uh, before I had the idea of actually making a legitimate business and, um, you know, getting a license to, you know, be a game development studio. But I had a couple of guys that I was working with too, that had shown interest in wanting to be developers and not necessarily game developers, but just guys that like work on code and, you know, some guys that like doing art and stuff like that. And they said, so we could combine all that together and, you know, make something cool with it. And so we started doing that. 
I, I figured, and and I may have read too much into this, so you can definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but <clears throat> I kind of figured the music track works out really, really well because I was just trying to think about other areas where this applies, and I I wasn't coming up with a, a lot of areas, but you know, in the music side, you've got to learn how to read the music and properly play the music, but at some point, you want to elevate above that and go, well, I know how this mechanic works and how the structure works. I'm going to create my own mm. stuff or I'm going to move away from that. And I was, I was trying to think about other possible trades you know, from a carpenter standpoint. I don't think they're like, I've, I've climbed stairs before. I'm going to try to make my own stairs. It's usually like they're being paid to always make mm. their own stairs. Musicians get paid to play stuff that's already there, but in your own time, if you want to be more creative, you can move that route. And it seemed like from the music standpoint, I'm a game player. I play games. Hmm. Now mm. I see how the mechanics of these games work. Let me see if I can figure out how they made that music work, how they made the gameplay work. It kind of seemed like that those two areas might have. Yeah, I think paralleled. I see where you're going with that. I mean, I think it's performing arts in general, really. I mean, is that you, you you have a, a a field where the expectation is that you have a a product that 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 imparts an emotion and a feeling on someone, and that's really you know if you're dealing with visual arts or you're dealing with music anything like that at the end of the day what you're doing is you're giving somebody feelings like whether it's i mean because that's really what music is at the end of the day it's you're mm-hmm. you're you're experiencing things you're experiencing feelings it's right type of entertainment or something so i think that relates to game development in a lot of ways that in that you know you're not trying to make you know the mechanics of everything is only going to be in gaming uh as important as the experience that you're providing on the other end of it so you know you can make the most advanced you know uh, genetic programming is something i've been learning about in c sharp lately with a couple of guys i've been working with and uh, you can make the most uh, elaborate advanced genetic programming procedurally generated you know sandbox mmo whatever but if at the end of the day if your players aren't experiencing something that is going to make an impact on them it doesn't matter I mean, I think that's maybe where, you know, having a musical background and, and learning about, you know, how a performance can can change the way somebody feels and how you can perform the same thing different ways and change the way that it makes the person feel on the other end. I think that's very relevant to creating the overall package of making a game, you know. I think so, at least. No, I I agree with that. I I, I would, because I, I, even even then, when you're thinking, especially you know, you went the the full route of of, of you know music education, mm. and and ultimately, uh, not only are you going to teach and give the tools to these students on how to play these specific instruments, but the idea is that of course you're going to have some sort of ensemble, mm. and you're going to put all that together and all these pieces together, mm-hmm. and then you're going to conduct them and watch them perform in front of the probably their parents and mm-hmm. family and things like that, and to to get that that feeling that mm-hmm. that that excitement or or you know whatever it is that you're trying to convey. So even then, you know, I've seen a lot of things where people have equated, um, you know. Game designers and game developers, especially indie, where it's it's someone you know. Well, we we've created this, and we want to see people play it, and it's like a, you know the the director of some sort of symphony in this, mm. and, and the idea of that you know you're teaching all these people you know how to do this or that, and then ultimately you know they're going to play that. Well, when you hand that off, and you here's this this arrangement that I put together. Mm-hmm. 
and you hand that off to somebody else and then you hear how they do it and maybe they you know they have a different feeling towards it because you you see that sometimes with even now with different covers that people do of different songs and their mm-hmm. takes on it it might be like you said a, a specific feeling for one person and it might be a different feeling for another person and you can get that a lot in gaming those are the mm-hmm. games especially now that are a lot more successful no matter triple a indie whatever it's all about that experience and that feeling and so it's kind of like you know you want to be able to see that and 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 see what people think and it's not even a judging thing you want them to experience a a specific feeling i mean it's like you know you can say that somebody's developing a a, a platform or whatever and say okay is the feeling that the person going to get on the other end is it going to be like what they experience when they're playing mario brothers or Mm -hmm. is it going to be like what they experience when they're playing limbo or braid or or some other yeah. great indie title like that you know like, super meat boy yeah super meat th- th- perfect yeah. example i mean yeah. you've got th- you know the same genre yeah the same essential co- composition in terms of what you actually do in the game mechanically but at the end the end mm-hmm. result of it is if you've got this heavily plot driven experience you have this uh you know, technical challenging experience, mm-hmm. and and it's just it, it could go so many different ways with it. You know, yeah, and and it can it can add to its longevity. I mean, they're getting ready to re-release Super Meat Boy on the Switch, mm-hmm. and it's right. gonna they're gonna make you know yeah. sales out the bat. <laughs> well, you, you know, you can go all the way back to to Mario versus Sonic, and the fact that like <laughs> Sonic was so much faster paced, mm-hmm. oh yeah, frenetic, and so yeah, it it comes down to the feeling you want to convey. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you're conveying some feeling because I'm sure we can all agree. I've played some AAA titles before where I'm like, why did I buy this? Why am I playing this? Why did they spend three years making this? Mm-hmm. It has to impart something. Oh yeah, I mean that's, I mean that's really why we wanted to get into it too. I mean that was another thing. You know, we had a game. I had the game that I wanted to make, and I wanted to play the game. I didn't really. I mean, I wanted to play it more than I wanted to make it. So it was like. The only way it's going to exist if somebody doesn't get on it, you know, is that right. for me to make it. So, well, and that's the, <laughs> we've we've been to several you know different conferences and and we've heard a lot of different talks about different things and 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 I think one of the things is is that you know especially when making a game and you're you know especially if it's something that's going to take years to develop, being able to still come back and say this is a game that I still want to play. Mm-hmm. I want I want to play this. I'm making this, but I want to play this. And and I think that we, I think that's where a lot of, of course, you know, dog on AAA companies for a minute. But I think that's where a lot of them, of course, they look at the dollar sign because mm-hmm. you know they're operated by boards and CEOs and all that kind of stuff. And when you take away those 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 ideas of just the dollar signs and say, well, is this a game that you really want to play? You know, are the mm-hmm. people making these games? Are they games that they want to actually play? Because, I mean, in a lot of cases, it's not. You know, you see a lot of these, you've seen a lot more, too, where small divisions of, of developers that have maybe been, uh, you know, contracted out to help work on mm. the next Call of Duty or whatever are branching off and then they're creating their own thing because those guys making that, they don't want anything to do with it. Mm. I mean, it helped them get experience, of course, yeah. which is good, but that's not games they want to play. And I think that's right. where, you know, a lot more people could go. Uh, the the right route and, and maybe we get better you know content or you know more options at least you know I mean there's any there's always going to be a trade off professionally mm-hmm. and you know whether you are working for you know the the money that you make or you know the whatever it is I mean it 
that's a challenge definitely that we mm-hmm. face in, in, in an independent studio is that you know there's not a whole lot of money that's coming in i mean right. we've got some build work that we do that that keeps things afloat and keeps the lights on and the bills paid and everything like that but and of course we've got many law sales now that it's out early access but i mean you know i can't you know fault anyone for taking a a, 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 a job with a a development studio right. working for a game even that maybe that they don't even like yeah. but if if it pays you know it's like you know that's a that still seems like a great gig i mean if you can get a job working in a studio and you, you know making money making a regular steady paycheck even if you're working on a game that you don't like so much you're still working on a game you know yeah. oh yeah. yeah you're and you're still a game developer and you know and yeah. you're still getting that experience yeah exactly you know do you have any advice you would impart to somebody who if they're trying to become if they're if they want to be a game developer if they want to make their own stuff habits tips tricks that you would mm. that you would say from your experience to them uh or even you know pitfalls to avoid i would say the 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 number one thing to do would be to find out the tools that the professionals are using get your hands on some of those and and get to play in i mean you don't have to take you know uh, you don't have to watch like a six-hour YouTube video on how to do whatever. You know, you can you can actually just get everything. And I mean, you know, we, when we had the game development expo here, and, and uh, Mike Guy came and talked about Unity, and you know, that was awesome because he gave a, a brief little crash course on how you can, you know, really sink your teeth into Unity and and start making things happening. I mean, that's where it all starts. That's how you build up this excitement on on making a game, and you get those feelings of, oh. I'm actually making a game. This is this is what I need to do to do it. So I would definitely recommend that um, because I think that the programming element of it is going to follow. Like once you get to a point where I'm a I'm a goal oriented type of person too. So um, but if you get to the point where okay, I need this guy to be able to jump over this thing and climb this ladder, and then you know, but uh, I don't really know how to make that happen then you're going to start looking at stack overflow and you're going to start like trying to find the code that you need to make this model do this thing and work with this type of behavior and use this method or class or whatever so i mean you you can you can definitely um learn a lot by just having a goal and and trying to make it happen for me like my first experimentation and and a lot of the games that we're still developing is with game maker studio of course it's it's geared towards 2d projects so if you have a a a two-dimensional product I definitely uh, recommend trying that, and it's a pl- great place to start too. If you're a beginning game developer, there was there was just a humble bundle that that they had done for Game Maker. I don't yeah, know if you saw um, that. Game Maker Studio One is is getting deprecated uh, because they released Game Maker Studio Two, so they were oh. trying to incentivize people to get involved with it. They had the humble bundle that released for uh, GMS One, and it was in, incredibly cheap for a for a, a studio professional studio license to you know make whatever product you want and sell it yeah. I, in game maker studio one i mean there's a ton of games professionally that were made in game maker studio one um hotline miami was one of them spelunky was one of them um both of those sold incredibly well oh yeah um but game maker studio 2 is out I, I, they've actually uh hyperlight drifter i'm pretty sure is in a transitional state between gms one and two um i can't confirm that but uh we just re- we just actually finished the import for Leventera in the Game Maker Studio 2 and released the alpha uh, for free to the public on that. It's on Game Jolt. You can play it. Um, so, yeah, I definitely recommend getting the tools, getting your hands dirty, just trying some things. Um, 
if it gets frustrating, there's a huge, there's always a community online that is involved in this thing. You can search forums, you can search Reddit, uh, any other type of social media outlet. You'll find people that are, I guarantee you'll find somebody that has done already what you're trying to do. So, you know, might as well stand on the shoulders of giants and use what somebody else has done right. And, right. And, and, and build it, you know. Well, and that's something uh, very relatable to, with, with the students that that we have in the classes, and and you got a few of them that that you, it doesn't take but one one poke, one push, and they're they're off. And then there's a few that you know it's just it's okay. Well, I need to make this guy go from here to here, and instead of just handing them, here's the cut and dry what you exactly need to do. Um, especially now with with the tools that we're using, um, it, it's a lot more interesting to see them. Uh, I don't want to say struggle, but struggle to, to search and find the answers yeah. to those. And I'm like, listen, somebody else has done this, mm-hmm. and I guarantee you, you can find it and then put it to use and figure out, you know, and I was like, you're going to get more out of that than me handing you everything on already, like, you know, yeah. and copy, paste it, and, and, you know. Well, it's a very real part of the process, too, is that yeah. that's the more critical thinking element of it really is is trying to trying to find your own way to make it work and to take a piece of this that somebody's done and maybe you want to add it, make it more modular. Maybe you want to expand the inventory slots or you want to, you know, have a, a different type of mana system or I don't know, yeah. whatever, you know what I mean? And it's it's cool to take things that people have already done and combine them. And then before you know it, you'll be writing your own scripts and, and you know, it, it's pretty cool. But and, and we're always learning too. I mean, that's the, that's the cool thing about it is that, you know, I, I can talk to the most experienced developers that I've ever met and they're always learning new techniques on how to streamline their code and make things more effective and efficient. That, that to me is what is, is fun about, I mean, you could say that about IT in general, of course, but, but I think even with just the game development side is it's never stale at mm-hmm. all. You're, you're never, it, ne- it should never get to the point that you're just doing the same motion over and mm-hmm. over and over. You're always learning something new because you need to and you want to. And I mean, it just, and I think to me for uh, um, my brain anyways, I would get bored very quickly if it were the same monotonous task mm-hmm. over and over. Um, but with, with that, I mean, every semester is a new challenge with some of the students and, and what they're doing and what they're showing me. And I love it when a student's like, goes past what we're doing and they're able to be like well i figured out how to do this mm, and and right. uh, and i'm just like great i'm gonna take note of that so i can yeah. you know because you just showed me something i yeah, didn't definitely. know so and that kind of keeps me interested in, in that kind of stuff too so it's never a boring job you know every every orientation that we have here and we have gaming students come mm-hmm. in who want to be who want to be gamers who well who want to be game developers. Yeah. They're already gamers. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah. Some um, of them find out quickly that they just want to be gamers, and so they have yeah. to go away from the game well, development thing, but yes. It, it it does never fail. We have somebody who says they want to work for Blizzard, mm-hmm. or yeah. they they want to they want to work for... I um, oh, just lost the people that made Oni and Halo. Uh, um, Bungie. Bungie, yes. Bungie. Thank you, yes. Um, no one ever talks about Oni anymore. I used to love that game. <laughs> but um, but we, we hear those people and we say, look, you're going to have to refine your craft. You can't be a C student. They're going to take the best of the best. <laughs> a- as an aside, I will say I now know my first person that I went to high school with that now is working for Blizzard. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yes, Daniel Moore. Uh, I saw on Facebook the other day. But, but 
we not everyone's a Daniel Moore mm. that that walks into here. So, and not to not to show your age, but you went no. to high school with him, and you graduated high school when? I would say he graduated in two thousand. So yeah. I, I mean, oh, it's, and, the, and by the way, so he graduated in two thousand. This is now twenty seventeen. Yeah. Mm. So look at how many years. Right. And it, that's not to say that it wouldn't take someone that many years to sure. do that, but no, but it, it, his path. Yeah. Well, so many, so many people, I feel like, always wants to say, you know, I always compare it to, oh, they want to be Tom Cruise. They want to be a movie star. You know, I'm like, if you're going to work for Bungie, or if you're going for Bungie or Blizzard, you're saying you want to be Tom Cruise mm-hmm. in the movies. And you've got to look at the longevity and the work to get mm-hmm. there. You know, Malcolm Gladwell says 10,000 hours till mm-hmm. you actually are great at something, you know, with, with outliers. Mm-hmm. and. A lot of students are like, I want to do it now, and mm-hmm. I want to be able to do it. But, but the, the place I was going to is not everyone's going to go and work for Blizzard right. or Bungie. But you can still be fulfilled and be your own game designer and your own at your own game studio. And and now I want to move into so you made games, mm. you tinkered. What was involved, or what does one have to do to have their own game studio? Well, for for me, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that we I was working on that same project for several months before I, you know, realized that maybe we can make something that we can sell, you know, and maybe make some money. And um, had a couple other guys that were interested in doing it. So uh, I know a lot of solo developers that have their own studios as well, and and I think that the business element of that comes after uh, they're they're looking at trying to finish their project, finish their game. But the big thing about it is just having a goal and trying to meet it, um, uh, both the short-term and the long-term goals, and also being flexible to adapting and altering those goals as you know your journey takes you down different paths. I mean, it's originally I wanted to to finish Leventera first before I did anything else, get it released, and you know get it to market. That was the entire purpose of making the business. But, you know, one of the artists that we have that does some remote work for us in Alaska brought in Minilaw as his game concept, and he made rapid progress on it. We helped each other with development. I helped do some audio work for it. I helped do some more. I actually helped with some of the art, some of the dialogue, some of the programming. And, um, you know, it started making rapid progress. We got it out on Steam, and it started making money. So... You know, it was the goal of the business is to make money, and that's where that was. Now we've got a couple of build contracts that we have. We're working on a game with another studio called the Pixel City Brothers. Its art style is reminiscent of River City Ransom, but it's a top-down RPG. And, uh, you know, we're we're doing some build work for that, so there's money there. And, you know, they're going to be moving that project along really quickly. Um, Leventera still being developed, but first project, it's... It's not done yet, you know. So you know, it's it's like a a matter of taking your goals, where you want to go, executing them, but then also, you know, taking opportunities if they come. Uh, you don't want to ignore uh, uh, an opportunity that's right in front of you just because you know you have a a goal in mind on the horizon. So. And I don't think we've said it enough, but your company is Lasso Games, and where can you be found? Uh, lassogames.com um, you can find us on Twitter uh, at lasso underscore games um, Facebook is facebook.com slash lasso games <laughs> and, and the games we're talking about mini law I, I was just playing mini law yesterday in, mm. in my office I ended up getting it uh, um, 
I actually ended up getting it during the the Steam Summer mm. Sale. Yeah, we, I, I'd completely forgot about it, but I saw on Twitter you you know you were posting it out there. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, I need to get that. That's got a big uh, um, narrative update coming soon. We've got we've been working on the narrative for it for a long time, and I just got just yesterday got our uh, badges, cards, and backgrounds approved for Steam. So the next update on that is going to have. Uh, um, badge support and oh, card nice. support yeah. and uh, we're going to add a couple more achievements to it and stuff so people are really like uh, it's another element and that's another thing too about you know talking about development it's another element to the game it's not even really development of your game but it's just part of that promotional and marketing cycle that's so important well that, that was that was kind of down the next path I was going to say because everyone I'm sure that that is a is a game developer like in Josh's class is who's learning this stuff at the house they're tinkering mm. but they may go how would I ever get this on Steam or mm. how would I ever get this on Xbox Live or PSN so mm. um what's I mean was that daunting what were the steps like uh getting on Steam is probably the the lowest I, will, I won't say the lowest it's the it's the lowest the legitimate, I guess, barrier of entry in terms of getting your game out there. But there are many other really great uh, distribution platforms that are coming up. Like I, I mentioned Leventer on Game Jolt earlier. That one's that one's very well-designed uh, distribution platform. Is that uh, just GameJolt.com? Yeah, GameJolt.com. Uh, itch.io is another one that a lot of indies use to, develop, uh, to distri- distribute their projects. You can sell products there. Um, the vetting process on those two platforms is a lot lower, so you've got a, a lot lower uh, standard of quality. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't good games there. There are a lot of excellent games there, many of which nobody's ever heard of, and there's some there's some really good hidden gems there. There's a lot of garbage too. I'm gonna be honest, and not to knock their platform, but it's just anytime you have an open platform, you can distribute. Sure. But to get to Steam, I mean you. You basically, they've just changed that. Now you have a product submission fee of $100 flat fee for each game. And they have very stringent requirements on the way that your storefront needs to look, the way that the package needs to be delivered to them, the way that you distribute builds. And it's all very well delineated in their uh, manuals. And there's there's pretty much a manual for anything. And Google's your friend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you guys tell your students this all the time, but the oh, same yes. applies you know, for distributing on PlayStation Network on Xbox that they're going to have their set of standards and most often there's going to be a checklist of things that you need to do before you're able to do that. Doesn't hurt a thing to take a look at that even if your game's very early in development. I encourage you, I mean, to take a look at it see what you're going to need to do to get this thing out to people that are going to be able to play it. Never mind all the fact that uh, you're still going to need to market this thing solely you can't just rely on the exposure of the platform itself to do all its marketing for you because if you release a game and haven't told anybody about it then you know the only people that are ever going to see it are the ones that see it in the featured list on uh, the network store or or steam front page or whatever and it may never even hit the featured list you know you may just be a a little blip on the new releases category down at the bottom of the list or whatever so you got to build that marketing snowball you got to get your social media going you know, build out some ad campaigns, uh, do some sp- maybe targeted Facebook ads, do some sponsored ads somewhere. But you don't even have to pay for advertising to do it. It's just all about, you know, getting the name of your game out there, owning some hashtags on Twitter, and basically just making it known that you're working on something, and setting that, a release date, and yeah. build a community the behind it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm fan base. You yeah, know? I've pre-ordered a game called uh, Survive the Nights, and it's been in development for several years, and 
they still haven't really said when they're going to release it. Yeah. They're, they're keeping it, but they've got this community, this huge community of people who have mm-hmm. pre-ordered this game and have everything ready to go. And they were just like, okay, well, we're almost to the point that we're going to release the the uh, the alpha version for anybody that's pre-ordered. And then mm-hmm. they still, I mean, it's still far, but it's this game that they've been able to just promote and publish. And the only videos out for it are a video that shows like all the assets that they have in it and then mm-hmm. a very small like trailer of like the walkthrough of an environment and that is it they share occasionally the images and things that they're working on mm-hmm. and you can see that it's being you know they're working on it but they've built this community right and who knows when the game's even gonna come out yeah so i mean they've got all these pre-orders behind it which you know i, I some of it i agree with some of it i don't how did you do the pre-order was it kickstarter um no I can't remember the website. It was a website I don't think I had been to before. Oh, a lot of and, developers um, build their own website and put their own pre-order yeah, system into and it, too, it so. I think that, and but I think they're releasing it through. I can't remember the key system that they're using to release it when you like when it actually comes out and they're going to like you you get emailed the notification that your key is like ready or whatever. Yeah. But they've built a community around it, and mm-hmm. now they've got this huge following because everybody's like really interested in this game. And they haven't even set a hard date for release, yeah. and or even really a hard date for early access. But you're on the hook now. But oh yeah, it, oh yeah. yeah. Now I'm waiting. Like I right. got it, and like like they're doing That's, refunds now for like their pre-orders and stuff. Like people yeah. want their money back, they can get it back. But like I'm hooked. I want to yeah. play this game, yeah. and I just have no clue when it's even going to come out. Right. So. I did one through Fig. Um, you know, um, Schaefer's Schaefer's website, oh, yeah, yeah, Fig dot yeah. Fig dot co, where like. That was a cool idea. It was it was better than Kickstarter for the fact that you could actually buy into you could like buy into shares oh, yeah. of, of the cool. business. And I ended up doing um it was like a double dragon wannabe. It was uh based on Kevin Smith's, you know, clerk's character. So it was <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob uh chronic punch or something like that. That's funny. And so they keep on sending out these updates every every two months or so where they're showing you character animations. Mm. And it's just like Kickstarter. You're, you're getting the email from the Kickstarter people yeah. saying, you know, we're still working, we're still yeah, working. We, were, we ran a Kickstarter campaign for Love and Terror, actually, mm-hmm. uh, in 2015. And it, it we didn't reach our funding goal, but it was an amazing marketing opportunity. Yeah. Like, we had built a huge following off of that. And people were super into the updates. I mean, there was... There were some people actually that backed us for a thousand dollars at a time. Wow! And which is incredible to me. We didn't meet our funding goal, so we didn't get to see any of that. But they were just like, "I can't believe you know you guys aren't getting funded and all this stuff." And and I thought that was amazing. I mean, if anything, it was just kind of like, "Man, there's people out there that really want to see this," and that'll mm-hmm. help you with your development too, get you excited about it. Well, and I know you 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 said before at the expo that um, the biggest problem is if you're the programmer and you're making a game, you got to take a, a break and go out there and tweet about it or make an update on steam or something and that's going to take time yeah and so definitely. and so how do you how do you straddle that line um you do the best you can <laughs> the, the 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 promo loop of it is is a is a full-time job in and of itself really and we uh don't do as good of a job of it as we need to and many indie developers don't mm-hmm. um AAA studios often have an entire team of yeah, marketing uh people to sure. do it and you know, sometimes we'll have a, one person who's just dedicated to doing nothing but sending out tweets and Facebook and promotion and setting out uh, ads and and they have a budget for it and all these other things too. But uh, uh, when you're an indie developer, you've basically just got to make it part of your daily routine. You know, I'm going to work on code here. I'm going to work on music art, whatever. I'm going to do some promotional stuff at this time. I'm going to write part of my devlog. I'm going to, you know, post a, an update to my website. I'm going to mm-hmm. send out a tweet. I'm going to send out a Facebook post, whatever. Lasso Games, 
Uh, Mini Law is up on Steam right now. Leventera mm-hmm. is currently at say Game Jolt. Game Jolt and mm-hmm. and itch.io. Yes. And and the the last question I've got, unless you've got something else, is once again the same thing I said about pitfalls to avoid. Uh, advice for people as a as a as a game designer. Do you have any advice if someone's going to open their game studio? Because I imagine, I imagine some of it is knowing the business end. So yeah, definitely uh, have you some accounting skills. Um, definitely have you some uh, read up on your local uh, ordinances because uh, that one's that's the big one here for the city and for the state. Their laws apply to any business that are uh, in the state in city limits or in certain county ordinances. Uh, like whether laws. you can actually run a business out of yeah. your home. Yeah, yeah, that's one of them. I mean, we have to pay a home occupancy fee for mine. That's in my home office. Um, so that's, I mean, it's it's pretty inconsequential. It's a little uh, small fee every, once a year, but that's something that really only applies inside Huntington city limits. So it's just something to be aware of. And uh, the clerk, the city and county clerks will make you aware of anything that you happen to miss usually, but sometimes they won't. Sometimes you just get a fine, you know, so it's definitely get get yourself abreast of that sort of thing. Uh, find out what kind of taxes you're going to have to pay on the products that you sell, uh, how your business is classified. You're going to need to know if you're supposed to be classified as a um, you know, software publisher or, or however you're going to do it with the state. And they're going to have to give you a business code. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that you've got a, a vault handy so that you can keep all your identification numbers and you can keep all of your um, you know, vital statistics for your business pretty much under lock and key so that you, know, you don't have to worry about anything like that. But, yeah. It's definitely it's a job in and of itself too. I mean, it's it's a daunting feat. Uh, that part of it is is probably one of the more exhausting pieces of it all because there's essentially zero fun associated with it at all. It's just it's business. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> but it is necessary and it's uh, the the door that unlocks the money. So <laughs> sure. that's what you that's you know makes the world go around, I suppose. But uh, yeah, unless you just plan on making games free all the time and yeah. <laughs> not, not plan on making any money, the, the business side I think would, and that's something that I share with a lot of my students is, is just like, well, you got to understand, you know, you have to go through these these procedures mm. and these things, and I'm like, you want to wait until the very last minute to try to attempt to get into that, you know, especially if it's something where you do want to, you know, make money or mm. uh, these things, and I'm like, but you need to find. Either you need to become good at accounting and some of this business stuff, or you need to find someone that you know yeah. that is good at those things. Right, because and accountants usually aren't cheap. Yes, know, right, <laughs> right. And then, and so, you know, if you don't know anybody, then you're going to have to you know that you're going to have to pay somebody right. probably unless you know how to do it. And Make friends with someone in college yeah. who's good at <laughs> right. business degree. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I see that, and I mentioned that earlier, you know, that it's uh, that it's not fun. I say it's not fun to me. There's people mm-hmm. that have, Oh, there's people that, that love that. They love that sort of stuff. I'm not one of those people. I don't really care. Right, for yeah. Yeah, I have some accountant friends that would probably love to balance my books all day or whatever. Sure. <laughs> sure. Great. Well, Jack, thank you so much for sitting down with us and telling us about your journey and, and giving our audience some uh, some idea into what it would be to be a developer as well as opening and, and owning your own studio. I really appreciate you guys having me today. Yeah, a lot of fun. And um, is it? I think it's safe to say we're going to be seeing you at the expo. Oh, absolutely. Yep. So I'll be here. So if people, you know, want to meet you in person and, and pick your brain about Mini Law, Leventera, or or the the industry, yep, come on they, down. I'll be there. You can play the games. I'll have them set up, and yeah, we'll we'll uh, have a good old visit. <laughs> Great. Well, just right. as a reminder, we're on um, Twitter at Talk on Tech MCTC, 
And you can email us at talkontech at gmail.com. Um, anything I'm missing, the, Josh? Well, the game, West Virginia Game Developers Expo, Friday, October the 27th. Mm-hmm. It'll start uh, around 9 o'clock and around 4. More info will be at uh, wvgamedevexpo.com. And I do know if they want to look at any of the old interviews we've done, if they go out to uh, to YouTube, I ended up tagging them all with WVGDE2016. Yeah. So they all they have all, that yeah, single word. Right away too. Yeah, and you can check out Jack's interview and with, with Lasso Games. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I am Patrick Smith. And I'm Josh Joseph. Have a great week. <laughs>